Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome back to the Theater Podcast and to this ongoing takeover from The Kite Runner. I can't wait to share this episode with you with Azita Ganazada. She continues to break so many barriers as an actor, an advocate, and basically this is an all-around amazing person who can't stop, won't stop. You have to check out her TEDx talk about her experiences as a child and being uh, a political asylum seeker from Afghanistan. It's in this incredible story and the link to that is in the show notes so check that out after you listen to this episode find me online on instagram and twitter at theater underscore podcast on tiktok at the theater podcast leave a rating and a review wherever you're listening now go backwards and forwards in the feed make sure that you've checked out all of the other episodes from the kite runner takeover and go see the show just an amazing show so now, everybody, please enjoy this episode with Azita Garazada. Here you go. One, two, three. I am incredibly excited <laughs> to introduce our guest today, a political asylum seeker from Afghanistan herself. She's broken many cultural barriers in the entertainment industry. In Hollywood, she's got a recurring role on the CBS show United States of Al. And in addition to Freeform's Good Trouble and HBO's Ballers, she is also the founder of Mina Arts Advocacy Coalition, an ambassador for women for women international, and is now the first woman of Afghan descent to originate a role on Broadway. Holy crap, Azizah. Ganazana, welcome to the theater podcast. Thank you so much. You forgot a couple of things. I sit on the National Council for Welcome.us and I'm the SAG after a Middle Eastern North African National Committee Chair. <laughs> okay, so I want <laughs> I, I normally start out the episodes, I'm like, oh, let's talk about your childhood. And then normally that's the easy stuff, but that's the heavy stuff of this episode. I wanna I wanna save that. We're gonna ease into that. So I actually love the the SAG after part of this because um what a lot of people don't talk about or what they don't just know about before they get into this themselves is that the show business is a business right and so you get into tv and film contracts and theater contracts and you're negotiating contracts these are legal documents that represent you that represent your your employers and whatnot and so now for the first time in how many years you advocated and got SAG to add a category. I'm, uh, you tell this whole story because I find it fascinating. Oh, thanks, Alan. Yeah. So um, in 2017, we achieved a landmark uh, achievement in labor contracts, the SAG-AFTRA AMPTP the TV theatrical contracts, which is a big negotiating thing. It's you know, these are, this is really big. You know, we go on strike, we don't go on strike. I mean, these are really massive. It's a massive union producers, is a massive uh, labor organization. And uh, we, myself, um, kind of began this lobbying effort to create a new designation for Middle Eastern North African performers in the hiring contracts. Um, because we are considered Caucasian or not considered at all um, in the U.S. Census and in those boxes that you check, when diversity really became a, a touch point in conversations around film and TV and theater and stories, uh, we were completely left out. And as an actress since 2004, I've been a SAG-AFTRA card carrier since 2004, 
and working nonstop. I've, I've been primarily a working actor for 18 years. Uh, there was this new loophole where I wasn't getting the same jobs I always got. And I was coming out of being a series regular on, on alphas and testing for a bunch of pilots and got one and then was told I was white at the table. They were told this. Yes. The casting directors were like, you're considered white by this television network because you don't have a box. And that seemed just outrageous to me um, on so many levels. It seemed like a, an excuse to continue to keep us behind, right? To keep us from flourishing from one girl who's been able to never play a terrorist or a refugee and play the girl next door is now being asked all the time to put on an accent and play these kind of more stereotypical, more marginalized roles. And I didn't understand and I didn't think it was fair. And so I began to figure out how we could change that. And I found a, a MENA category in the US Census. And we ended up um, lobbying and talking to the producers and a lot of actors joined my cause. A lot of MENA actors went and also spoke out against this. And we ended up drafting a new hiring contract for the first time in 37 years. And that's no small feat that ended up um, influencing, you know, multiple things. You know, it's on the equity contract now, MENA is, um, as well as throughout the Oscars new inclusion standards. We've got a Writers Guild Middle Eastern um, Committee. We've got the MENA committee at SAG-AFTRA. We now have all the networks and various companies, studios, organizations reaching out to us, understanding that MENA is a global market and it's, it's an identity. And, and not a monolith that so many people have wanted to turn into either just being Muslim or just being um, something that is maligned or scary. And it's like, no, it's Azita. There's a thousand of me and, you know, one shitty bad guy. And that's culture across all cultures. You know, it doesn't matter. Like there's there's a thousand Allens and then there's one shitty Allen, you know, and that's just that's <laughs> culture. You know what I mean? That's society. That's the world we navigate. Like, you're not responsible for every Allen who does something crappy in this world. Um, and, you know, we aren't responsible for people that, you know, do something crappy from our part of the world. And, you know, we kind of had to create a differentiation of like, no, we're U.S. citizens. One in five of us are entrepreneurs. Uh, we all don't speak in accents. You know, we were raised here. We're highly educated. We're, you know, co contributors to society and science and education and sports and, and influencing and the arts. And so, yeah, we built that category and uh, launched my organization, MAC, to support educating people about what MENA is and who MENA people are and, and how to include us in this very important now DI work. That's incredible. So Mina is Middle Eastern, North African. Yeah. So, yeah. We like so, largely aligned to like a SWANA definition because it includes Afghanistan and Turkey and Armenia. And so it's not quite what the U.S. Census um, definition was. Ours for diversity, equity and inclusion is a little different because it's a visual medium. Right. So it's like everybody that kind of looks like us and that plays these kinds of roles. That's so cool. So so then there's uh, if I understand it right, there's like not, is it tax implications or budget implications depending on how many of certain cultures you you have you know, in your in your production? I mean, the the whole backstory behind this is fascinating. You know, I think that people started to be held responsible, and then what uh, my organization was able to do is really to show data of how erased we are on on television and film. We're just completely erased, and then when we are seen fifty percent to seventy eight percent of the time, it's as a terrorist. So we were able to show people their report cards 
of like, hmm. this is how you guys, and it's very interesting because culture and storytelling, that's always, you know, we're the ones that hold society accountable for like what's going on in the world. But when the storytelling is so maligned about one culture, any culture, you know, whether that's Latinx or black or white or whatever it is, if we were consistently maligning white people as school shooters or neo-Nazis 80% of the time on, on television and film, then the implications of that would be, you know, incredible. It would be impactful to the way that people viewed white men in society, scary. And so we were able to kind of show people that this is what you're doing. And they're still kind of doing it. We still have to fight to, for inclusion in a way that's safe and honorable and balanced. Um, and there are tax implications and, and there are actually, um, you know, audiences, diverse audiences want to see diverse casts and shows that have you know, just a, a plethora of what the world looks like um, in it. Those are the shows that do the best. Those are the shows that have the highest ratings. Those are the films that have the biggest box office turnout. So it's not me saying, oh, we need this. It's like, it, it's, you know, audiences want to feel reflected in some way, um, big and small. And that drives people to the show and that drives people to the theater and that drives people to the seats in the movies. That's a level of confirmation bias i want to i want to posit uh it, because if the the if it's white men who are primarily driving the industry and primarily producing the industry and primarily uh influencing the contracts then they don't realize what they what they're not seeing and what they're not including because their bias their their uh un, it's unconscious bias is to continue to interact with uh with with familiarity right and Again, I remember uh, I was reading something to prepare for this that, that you were talking about, like just not seeing anybody like you on on screen or anything. And on top of all of this, coming from a culture where acting was very frowned upon. So now I actually want to get into the childhood a little <laughs> bit because there, there's a lot to unpack here. And <laughs> go as deep as you're comfortable going. But uh, I watched your whole your TED talk just absolutely amazing i'll put the link in the show notes because just everybody needs to see it you don't know your birthday no you know okay let me just go back to your confirmation bias because i want to stand up for people because i inherently believe that people are good and can do better i think that what people don't know is they don't have the information and i think when you teach people and you go i'm not like angry i just want you to know what you're doing and they go, oh, snap, we got to fix this. And that's usually like seven out of 10 times, you know? Mm -hmm. So I, I just, just say that that confirmation bias and unconscious bias, it, once it's kind of shown to people, to me, to you, to anybody, once we become aware of it, we have the ability to change our frame of thinking. So that was just, I just wanted to go back to that point you made. Thank you. That's, yeah, very uh, important. My, my childhood was very difficult. Um, I actually, you know, feel bound to the respect of my family to not even divulge all of its difficulties because it's also their story. And I can only speak from what I went through life trying to achieve or trying to be. And it's very funny because this play is bringing up so much of that again. Um, the becoming vulnerable within the cultural dynamic, living this play out every single night, eight times a week, is reconnecting me to pieces of myself that have long been forgotten. 
And it's a wonderful exploration of remembering because I unfortunately disassociated so much of my life um, to protect myself. Mm-hmm. And I threw myself into achievements, right? As you rattled off, the list, <laughs> right? Like that started long ago. Um, and you heard that a little bit in my tech t- TED talk that I, I worked so hard to be accepted because one, I was not accepted and I wanted to fit in. And so the way that I thought to fit in was to just be the best at whatever I could do and to lead and to inspire. But I also did it as a way to survive. And as you get older and you're given the opportunity to undo some of the things that you look at and you go, God, that's, I thought that was like a, a, a positive of mine. Like I'm such a go-getter and I get this done and that done. And then to sit with oneself and to sit with counsel and, and learn that that's a way that you've hidden from your own heart because your heart <laughs> has been hurt. And that it's the strength is not in the achievements, but it's in your vulnerability. It's in your sharing your story. It's in the, it's in the being brave enough to tell someone else that they don't have to do everything to be needed and wanted. They just have to be themselves. So I, I think that you know, wanting to be an artist and coming from where I came from, I think inherently there's a purpose in it. I don't think it's to like, it's never been like, oh, I, I want to be famous or I want to be on billboard or whatever. Like that's the purpose is in the, is in the coming back to myself and it's the learning how to really be in my heart and how to hmm. connect and this experience on a stage with 700 people every night, you know, the bow is the hardest part for me because I feel so vulnerable in front of everybody bowing with them. And I just, I want to go out and hug everybody and say, thank you for sharing this with us. Thank you for being here with me. So it's, it's been really interesting. I think that being an artist and from my culture, which is very frowned upon, even though we are some of the greatest storytellers of all time. um, I think that it's such a deepening of reconnecting to yourself. And I'm so grateful to be on this path. We're going to take a short break. Stay tuned for more of the episode. It sounds like you've done a lot of work introspectively, and I I am a huge supporter of therapy and mental health and and whatnot. So um, I've always said that theater is... um, it's your chosen family, right? And there's so many reasons why people can uh, decide to become an uh, an actor. And um, through my own therapy, have realized that there's a lot about myself that I'm attracted to in acting because it's it's validation and it's yeah. the it's literal like you did a good job, clap 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 clap, immediate feedback that you're good enough in this moment. And where does that come from? That's a relationship with parents and other things that have happened and like so much beyond, and the the most successful the the actors that i see successfully working are the ones that have discovered what you were just talking about which was the vulnerability and allowing yourself the safety the comfortability allowing yourself not the audience but yourself to go to these places with you mm-hmm. because if you go there and you're comfortable the audience is going to be right there with you yeah right yeah you know so 
Well, I was working with um, John Marklin, who's an acting coach, just a little bit on um, a, a part of the play that I wanted to feel was interesting and new and, and, and kind of exploring it. And, you know, there's some things in the play that I want more for her. You know, I, I've advocated for her since the play came to me. Um, and that's my job. My job is to advocate for my character and, you know, be in, you know, be her biggest supporter and fan and just try to connect all the dots for her. You know, John said to me, I was like, you know, sometimes it feels just grounded and free and flowy. And sometimes it feels like I'm, I'm working harder than I should be. And, and he's like, yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> and that's what it's going to be every night for a hundred nights you know some nights it's going to feel like this and some nights it's going to feel like that and some you know and I, and it that's the truth the 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 thing about the thing about acting you know is that if you want the validation from it it is you're going you're going to get kicked down <laughs> you're going to get punted because you're not for everybody your story, your way of telling your story is what makes you so special. But that doesn't mean it's going to align with 10,000 people. It's going to align with 6,000 people. And 4,000 people are going to be like, it was good. But it, oh, yeah. some people are going to love it. It's going to be their story. I mean, there have been Afghan girls and girls from that Sw Swana region and, and high school girls, actually. We had like high school girls that when I came out were like, crying and clapping and i was like oh what like they're like she's so strong and like and i was like oh that's right this isn't about me telling this story to a mirror this is about me telling the story for these girls right so there might just be one in the audience there might be 50 in that audience but it's just it's for her that night and that's the thing that I connect to it's not for all 700 it's for the one if she's in mm -hmm. there my story's for her and I think when you can accept that, like, you're not for everybody. We're just not like we can try to be, but that's false. That's inauthentic. Like, you know, we have to create from our heart and we have to have integrity and truth in that creation. And if we live and operate from that place of truth, then nobody can hurt us with their not validating us. Because it's hmm. my truth. <laughs> God, I'm, you have a good therapist. <laughs> <laughs> I do, actually. <laughs> you have a great therapist. Jordan oh my God. Marks, do you hear that? Jordan Marks. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah, there's, there's a level of communication, a level of vulnerability and openness that, uh, that you have with people like this when when they're open when they're open to i guess hearing this sort of feedback and to hearing um they were always trying to be better and that's that's the that's the line that's the line from the from the play right i'm finding here there's a way to be good again there's always a way to be good again and that's from the kite runner and so like we all need to take that with us whether it's this hour this day this week whatever it is we can always try to improve and learn and be better there's a way to be good again and redemption and everything a family god i i love this i love the show can you tell yeah i love the show too it's such a moving play and there's so many themes in it that like i mean 
Khaled, first of all, the source material is unbelievable. You know, there's so much poetry and so much storytelling in in that book that, you know, has ripped people's hearts wide open. And the play has been adapted in a way that stays very truly aligned to the book and, you know, tells the story crisply and as cleanly as possible um, so that the, the audience that loves the book will understand and connect and reconnect. And even those that haven't read the book, I mean, they're our audiences are amazing. Uh, It's been a a gift to be with them. But there's so many themes in the book that you hear, you know, shame and guilt. I have guilt, I have shame, but I I have courage to want to be chosen for me and to walk away from someone that doesn't choose me. And, you know, to know who I am and to to try and, and choose me regardless. There's ways to, even if you have failed someone in your life and that guilt has like you know weighed heavily on you there is there are ways to be good again and i think that the human themes explored throughout the play have affected everyone in the audience there's something that everyone connects to in one way shape form or the other you know somebody was saying to me like you know even uh, when we talk about like the the there, you know, there's an active genocide against um, Hazaras in Afghanistan. You know, they are systemically trying to erase them from society. And we see that a little bit in this play. It's not really spoken of. And someone said to me, you know, a white woman in her late 30s was just like, you know, I didn't I don't understand that riff. Right. But I understand what it's like to not like somebody because they're not the same as you. And mm. look at your own bias and your own, you know, racism or the racism that you see. And that was something that I was like, oh, how interesting, because I'm so Afghan that like, I understand the story in its, in its, the way that it's shared. And for her, she responded to the racism that, that they were experiencing that, you know, Hassan was experiencing in a way that was like, yeah, like, why? Why are they picking bully? Why, why do we bully people? And so I mentioned this meme to her that I saw on Instagram where it says, what's the deal with bullies? Like, why are you so mad that I'm ugly? <laughs> and I was <laughs> like, bullies suck. Like, they make no sense. Um, but yeah, it was, you know, there's that, that, that it doesn't matter. Like, it, it, there's something in the play for everybody. And, and that's why I love it. Is it hard for you to get through the show eight times a week? And is it like the same moments for you that sort of hit close to home or is it different things each night? It's different things each night. Um, And, you know, I've said this in some other interviews, but I I didn't want to have an Afghan wedding. I I don't really, I'm not really somebody who's been like, I want to get married. That's not really, you know, I, I wanted to, I had to rebuild myself as a little person into the adult and the woman that I'm becoming. So I I wasn't like, I want to get married. That wasn't my thing. It was like, I want to feel safe and whole and like loved and creative. And I want to know that my life has purpose. And if that's a marriage, that's a marriage. Like it wasn't not, but it just wasn't the thing. And I really walked away from kind of cultural and traditional obligations by becoming an artist, by being on my own. I've been on my own since I was 17, which is, pretty much unheard of in our culture. And I didn't want to have that experience. And now I wear the green dress and I walk out to Ostalboro 
130 <laughs> times this summer into fall and I kiss that Quran and when I kiss the Quran I cry and I'm not supposed to cry but it's so moving that I, I'm having this lived out experience over and over again and it's special and it's beautiful and it's weird and it's it's just all connected and my mom gets a you know a kick out of it that she sees me in that green dress. She's coming to the play and she said, uh, Ozito, should I bring my green dress? I was like, please, mom, please wear your wedding dress to Kite Runner. So everyone knows that you're my mom. So she just, just wants to make sure it's clear. So that'll be amazing. So just come on down September 23rd. <laughs> She's proud. She's got to be proud, though. I, 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 well, okay. So that's a question then. Is, from the family perspective, right? You're you're you've come over to America, political. You get political asylum. You've I've heard you speak in another interview too that like you had trouble getting your citizenship because you didn't have paperwork. You didn't have your birth certificate. Um, very similar to what's going on in the in the actual story of the kite runner, right? And so now, has has the I mean, like, I guess your family as a whole have they come to realize that like this is great this is amazing you're you're taking care of yourself or was there a little bit of like butting heads for a while there was butting heads for for a while in the beginning you know first of all they're terrified you know what is an actor you know they don't know what broadway is you know that that was like was like i'm, I'm gonna go do i'm gonna go make my broadway debut they're like oh is it on television like how do we see it like you know it's such it's not our first of all our stories aren't told Right. And it's also something that we're not like, oh, let's go see this. It's just so far out of like our cultural norm. And so one, there's so much there's so much pride and acceptance. And a lot of my family has come and my family, my younger, my cousins, sophisticated, successful. I mean, work at Google, run think tanks like I mean, smart, successful family members. This was their first Broadway play. Wow. And a lot of the audience that's of the, the regions, it's their first Broadway play. And they are sobbing, first of all, because they're so proud that I'm in this story, that this story is being told, that they're seeing their culture in a way that's beautiful. And now they're like, I want to see all the Broadway plays, right? So like Broadway hasn't opened itself up to audiences like this before. Like there's all these Afghans and Iranians and Pakistanis and, and people from the Middle East and North, uh, North Africa all throughout coming and just like sobbing. And it's so special to me that we're bringing in this new audience. And so, yes, my family is proud. It took them some time. I think I, they had to start seeing me successful. And also there's ups and downs from an artist, right? I would have a tremendous amount of success and then I'd have nine months where I didn't work at all. And that's very scary to parents. And, you know, they would cut, what's the backup plan? What's this, you know, like, and they just didn't understand. So when I was, you know, in my twenties, that was hard to hear. I'm just like, get, leave me alone. Like, let me figure this out. And I had every job in the world and they didn't love that. Um, there's a play, you know, there's a line where Boba says, you're going to go get a chatty job like mine. And they were like, you're educated, you're smart and you're, walking dogs, you know what I mean? Like that you're, you're house sitting, like they just like, they couldn't like fathom that I was choosing the path of artistry instead of doing what uh, other things I could do. But I remember my mom saw me in an episode of Castle and I was playing a dominatrix 
and I have a whole <laughs> leather outfit and a, and a whip and I'm with my friend John Huertas and luckily we're good friends so we got to play and I'm like whipping John and like doing the whole thing and I'm all done to the nines and my mom called and was like oh my god I told everyone in Virginia to watch you on Castle your makeup was so pretty and I was like <laughs> oh great like totally <laughs> like like forget cultural bias she didn't care that it was a dominatrix at all i looked good and i was on a hit show and <laughs> abc at 10 p.m and she loved it she just loved it so much so i would definitely say it's changed <laughs> not the parents they were in the 80s you know they've definitely come a long way and you know i think facebook has helped with that because they have so like the internet like they have so much access to things and movies and stories and they were just scared they were scared yeah yeah we're going to take a short break stay tuned for more of the episode well why why then did you decide to to go into performing and acting and pursue this path that didn't have any anybody like you in it for the most part yeah i mean i i think i've said this before like how do you become what you don't see? Yeah. Right? Like there's no, like, how do you, who do you model yourself after? And I would give anything to have had mentors. Like I think about that all the time. I just didn't connect to anybody because like they didn't have the same story. Uh, you know, I learned English watching television and it was probably the happiest time in my home was when we were all watching some sort of a show. I loved the escapism. I loved watching Entertainment Tonight with my mom. I loved watching um, Dynasty with my mom, Peter, mm -hmm. Peter Jennings. Like I say, Mary Hart, Peter Jennings, and Joan Collins taught me English. And that's pretty much everything you need to know about me um, <laughs> as a person. That's it. Like newsy, glamorous, and like loves television and entertainment. Um, but, you know, I... I so desperately just thought I want to be there. And I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know if that meant I was going to, you know, work in the news, if I was going to like become a journalist, if I was going to become an actress, I thought I could become an actress, although I didn't have any craft. Um, I just thought there was something in me that thought I can do this because I have so many stories to tell. Right. I said this somewhere else recently that like I had a lot of life. Like you can't teach what I experienced, right? You can't give somebody that DNA of like being a survivor of war, coming from war survivors, like being shown photos of children with missing limbs from landmines and being told that's what you escaped. Be grateful. You know, that mm. kind of awareness at eight years old that like you've escaped war, going to airports and picking up people coming out of refugee camps that have been threatened and violated and abused and prisoners of war and you're eight, nine, 10. Like I had all of that. I had a family that was falling apart under, you know, the cultural uh, transition that was ho desperately holding on to their family with girls that wanted their own ideas to express that their own autonomy and selves. I had all of these things kind of experiencing that I was fighting through. And so I had all the life, but I didn't have the craft, right? So I think I showed up in Hollywood with on a one-way ticket. I gave myself 30 days to make it. And 30 only, days? Yeah, I know. And I'd only been on a plane twice before. And I didn't make it in 30 days, but I did find a job at E. 
I'm a proud E-Networks uh, alum. I worked there for <laughs> a couple years and I learned everything about the business. I learned everything about the business. We actually called it E-University at the time because everybody was there learning about different aspects. There were actors there. There was people that wanted to be on-air hosts. There was producers. There, you know, there was just everybody. And like, I'm close to so many of them still. And I got to take acting classes and for the first time in my like, you know, early 20s. And I just remember feeling so alive when I would do it. There wasn't any other feeling I'd ever had. And it's still my mm. happiest place. Like, this is exhausting. This is a lot. Eight shows a week. I mean, tech, I blew my calf. I mean, I had to miss something with you because I popped my calf from being in tech and, and doing previews and not having even a minute like, the exhaustion, the body shut down, my body shut down. Like I've never fought dehydration like I'm fighting right now, hmm. but I will be a wreck if I miss a show. I don't want to miss one show. I don't want to miss that one opportunity to express myself and to connect to my beautiful cast and to our audience. I want to be with them every single time, eight times a week until October 30th. And then I'm going to be on an island. So goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> Fair and well-deserved, I suspect. Yes. <laughs> All right. So I think that's a wonderful place to transition to our three closing questions that we yeah. use to wrap up the episodes. The first one just simply is what motivates you. Purpose. Should I elaborate? Is it not? One? No, no. I was like, I'm like, do I do an Avenue Q joke or do I let this sit? Okay, I'll let it sit. Okay. So. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. All right. Next question is, what advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now starting out down a similar path? Oh, wow. Um, if you know everything about yourself, then nothing anyone can say about you will hurt you. Hmm. If you know everything about yourself, then nothing anyone can say will hurt you. And that means living in honesty and integrity and alignment and knowing I was just a shitty person right there, or I did that terrible thing, or sometimes I do this thing and that's not the best part of me. And when someone comes to you and says, you did this, you go, oh wow, that's that part of me that like, okay, it's not the best and, and I want to take accountability or whatever, or, or even if it's in a performance, you're like, I was schmacting. Uh, I don't think that was my best show yet. Um, <laughs> and somebody says a, a bad review about you. You can go, I was schmacting. I wish they would come back. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I, or I was, or I had a headache or I was pushing it. Like, you know, you're just so aligned with yourself that it's like, what does that, that that person doesn't know? Like they didn't get to see you for 365 days. They caught you in that one moment. So I think I think that's the one thing I would tell to younger people. It's just do that and also do the work. Do the work. You know, you can get away with cheating a little bit, but you know, under the lights, it will be exposed. Mm-hmm. In, in, I want to go back to to something you'd said at the very beginning, which was like, uh, it's it's not for everybody. You can't please everybody. So even if the the reviewers are all white men, they're not going to get the story in the same way that your your twenty something Middle Eastern women are going to get. It's going to be night and day. It, Absolutely like, not. And that's about who are the gatekeepers to 
yeah. telling stories, right? So yep. Who are the gatekeepers that tell us what stories we should watch and shouldn't watch? And how do they connect and not connect? And that's just dismantling a, you know, a, a centuries long failed way um, that people view things. And it's, I mean, it doesn't affect me because I don't connect to that person's life. You know, like mm -hmm. there are things that they love that I don't love at all. And that doesn't mean that we're separate. It just means that we're different. We're still connected. Yeah. All right. Last question. Okay. Then. If you could only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see it as many times as you want, what would you see? Broadway show? Any show. Any show. We we'll go with Broadway and then you can do TV or film too if you want. Well, my favorite show this year was the Lehman Trilogy. Ooh, Yes. I loved it. And I'm sure seeing it over and what a tour de force of acting. I mean, actually, after seeing it, like I went to Matthew Spangler and I was like, why can't I narrate at certain points? <laughs> like the Lehman trilogy, swap it on over to me. You know, like I just felt so inspired by that storytelling and, and the way Sam Mendes handled that and those actors. And so I would say the Lehman trilogy for sure. I would say a story that I loved on Broadway that was a story um, about that I really connected to as a personal story was The Color Purple. I was mm -hmm. so moved by The Color Purple. I felt seen. I felt connected to. I was so glad that it was being told in that way. I love that. All right. So where can we find you and connect with you on social medias? Um, on Instagram, I'm Azita Graham. On Twitter, I'm Azita Ganizada. And that's about it. I don't really use Facebook. I'm on there, but I don't really. Well, you just said, so you just said your name, Azita. You said, but your mom says your name, Azita? Azita. 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 Yeah. It's, so what's it's, it's Azita. You know, the American way has kind of been the way. When I was a little girl, they'd always stop at my name. <laughs> right so like from the age of five in kindergarten that's probably why i'm a public speaker it was because i had to stand up in school in front of all the 28 students and i'd have to go azita ganizada it's not that hard no no just not not americanized you're not used to bob and richard <laughs> hey everyone learned how to say daenerys targaryen or arnold schwarzenegger they can say azita ganizada <laughs> <laughs> get to the chopper. Yeah. Get down. Okay. You can get more of me at the theaterpodcast.com. I'm yeah. on Instagram and Twitter at theater underscore podcast. Um, I'm on TikTok at the theater podcast. Leave a rating and a review wherever you're listening. This has been edited by Well-Rounded Hoodlum Productions. Jukebox the Ghost gave us our intro and outro music. And Azita, thank you so much. I hope you I end up on TikTok. <laughs> we'll put it on. We'll put it on the Tiki Talks. We'll get there. <laughs> Thank you so much, Alan. And again, I'll talk to you soon. Take a deep breath, make the world a little colorful. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now 
and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.